Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Allison Raskin is a writer, director, comedian, YouTuber, podcaster, and mental health advocate. She's perhaps best known for her collaborations with Gabe Dunn, which began with their YouTube channel, Just Between Us, and has included co-writing a New York Times bestselling novel and developing TV series with MTV, FX, YouTube Red, and Netflix. Raskin sat down with me to talk about her early career with BuzzFeed Video, her work alongside Dunn, going back to school to get a master's degree in psychology, her new book, Overthinking About You, Navigating Romantic Relationships When You Have Anxiety, OCD, and or Depression, and how she navigates her own mental health as a content creator of videos, podcasts, books, and essays. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's Aloy, let's get to it! Allison Raskin, uh, thank you for joining me. Last things first, I know we've been trying to put this together for a little while, but now that we did have to wait, I can now ask you, how do you feel about the end of BuzzFeed News? Oh, yes. Um, I think it's devastating. You know, I think that there is a lack of, of good news organizations, and I think that they did a lot of amazing work over the years. And it's unfortunate that I feel like mismanagement at the top led to fallout at the bottom and for the readers and for everyone. So it's a, it's a big bummer. Well, without BuzzFeed and BuzzFeed News, we wouldn't have you <laughs> as you are now, right? I know. And people are like, how do you make a career in, in writing and content? I'm like, I don't know, get hired at BuzzFeed Video in, in 2014. <laughs> like, it was definitely a big, big moment for me where it, it propelled me into a um, into an audience space and allowed me to get my foot in the door in a way that I don't know how I would have, you know, without that opportunity. Right. So how did that, if we can go back and we'll eventually get to the present time. We're going <laughs> to we're going to flash back to 2014 or even before then, I guess. I know in your in your book Overthinking About You, you you talk about how when you were 18 and you 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 went to Hollywood, you're like I'm going to be a screenwriter. I very much wanted to become a TV writer, but I took a class my senior year um called like web series and okay. my professor was like everything is heading to the internet, make stuff for the internet. And I was like, okay. Um, and basically from that moment on, which was in probably 2010, um, I've been making stuff for the internet. And it was really through that kind of content where I was talking more about myself and my own experiences and, and sharing Allison instead of just sharing, you know, scripts or sketches that I saw that there was this real kind of thirst for, information about mental health and for mm -hmm. people to kind of openly and vulnerably talk about their own experiences because I've had OCD since I was four years old. So, you know, having that life experience of being mentally ill pretty much my whole cognizant life, like 
always informed my writing, but it was not like my main focus, like when I thought of myself as a writer. Mm-hmm. And then as I was making more and more content around this and realizing the good that it was doing and getting such amazing feedback from people and also seeing sort of mental health be talked about more openly, you know, across across the internet and across communities, I leaned into it more and more. And so then in, in 2020, um, through a mixture of, of fear that supporting myself creatively might not be, <laughs> you know, the most realistic situation and also just a genuine interest, I went and got a master's degree um, or I'm attempting to, I'm almost done with my master's degree. And I originally went into the program at Pepperdine planning to become a licensed therapist um, as sort of a resource and backup plan. And then through the program realized that I actually, I don't think getting licensed was the right move for me, but Mm. I am getting a master's in psychology to sort of help with everything I do to sort of give me credibility in the space, to inform me in the space, to be able to talk about mental health outside of my own experiences and more widely. And so it's been a really enriching um, experience. And then also, you know, moving into the nonfiction space with overthinking about you and getting to, you know, interview so many different mental health professionals and dating experts um, to sort of write about that intersection of romantic relationships and our mental health. Um, and now working on another book about marriage uh, through the lens of mental health and un- the uncertainty of it all. And so it, it wasn't like my original plan, but um, I, I kind of just kept leaning into what seemed to be working and what people seemed to want from me. And um, it's been a wonderful process and journey. Okay. So the original plan was screenwriting. Mm-hmm. And that was at Southern Cal? Yeah, USC. Okay. And based on the dates, so you were, I mean, USC is a great film school, great, you know, legendary film program so getting a screenwriting degree there should like catapult you right <laughs> but it, but also if i'm doing the math right that was also just after the last writers guild strike i was a freshman when the last strike happened so yeah that happened in 2007 2008 and i was a freshman and so but, our improv that, oh, sorry. Yeah, how did that how did that influence you like i'm getting a writing degree and here they are on strike Maybe I'm doing the, like, is this the right thing? Oh, no, it was much more exciting. It was like, you know, power, power to them. Mm -hmm. Um, My improv team at the time sort of did a month long, like, writer's strike program where, like, Mm -hmm. we had a weekly improv show. But for a month, we had, like, a a writer or actor who was supporting the strike come do um, a monologue for us to do our improv off of. We were all very pro writers. We were, you know, it was this sense of, like, oh, this is our community, our future community, and wanting to support them. Okay. But then you said when you graduated, like the advice you had was to lean into the internet. What what was your understanding of content creation at the beginning? Did you have an understanding of it or no? I had an understanding of it in the terms of comedy. So I was making sketches and mm-hmm. I it was it, it took a long time for me to sort of be comfortable in the 
quote unquote, like influencer YouTuber space mm -hmm. instead of just like these are scripted sketches to showcase my writing and acting abilities. And then I want to get hired for something more mainstream. Like this is my, you know, seeing it as like a resume for other opportunities instead of seeing the value in the creation of that type of content in and of itself. Um, and I think that that shift was, you know, helped by then working at BuzzFeed Video and making this content that, you know, had more eyes on it than maybe some cable shows ever did. And, you know, like having access to people all over the world, even though the content's, you know, two to three minutes, like mm -hmm. I've probably written stuff that more people have seen than people who have maybe only worked on, you know, certain certain shows that like have a huge budget, but maybe don't get that same reach. Um, right. Like the CW, for instance. Maybe, you know, and it, <laughs> and it is this interesting thing because it's still, I've always had this imposter syndrome of, well, I've, I've never been in a writer's room. I've, I've sold like four different shows and been in development with like MTV, FX, YouTube Red, um, Netflix. Like I, I've had that wonderful part of, of my career. But because I was always sort of working on my own thing, I'm not in the infrastructure of, you know, Hollywood writers the way someone is when they start off as an assistant and rise up through the ranks and have had so many different bosses and people that think of them when they're staffing. I've sort of been doing a lot of my work in like a silo. And so it's, um, you know, I still love TV. I right before the strike happened, I um, have been. Uh, shopping around a half hour dark comedy with a production company attached, you know, like that's still a real big dream and goal of mine, but also like allowing for the fact that you have to go where the opportunities are. And for the last couple of years, it's been hard for me to sell a show. Um, I don't have the relationships that make it easy. I mean, it's not easy to get staffed in general, which is a big part of why we're all striking. Yeah. Um, but like allowing myself to shift from, I want to be a TV comedy writer to, I'm a storyteller and I can tell stories in a lot of different ways. I can tell them through fiction. I can tell them through nonfiction. I can tell them on screen. I can tell them on a podcast and just like allowing um, myself to expand the view of what I'm doing without losing the heart of why I got into this. Right. I mean, you and Gabe just recently put out a video titled what does success really mean? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what was your initial idea of what success looked like or meant? You mentioned having imposter syndrome. So when you first got out of USC and you're you're making sketch comedy videos, what was your idea of what success looked like? Success was having my own show or working on someone else's show, like steady work. Financial stability was a big part of it for me. Kind of getting to a place in the industry where... I could always feel safe that I would get another job because I was high enough up in the ranks um, and thought of enough and, you know, in the, my name's being thrown around enough that, you know, um, I'd have that level of, of stability. And obviously, as we've seen through people sharing their stories with this strike, that's, that's very rare. And there are tons of people who've done amazing work on a show or two shows and now are struggling to get their next gig. And um, I think one of the things that's really been 
kind of an unintentional saving grace for me is not necessarily just relying on the infrastructure of Hollywood, but instead like developing a direct relationship with my fans and audience. So I'm doing that on YouTube, I'm doing that on my podcast, and then I'm doing it through my Substack, which I think has been a really great new avenue because that's like my writing, right? Like my Substack is writing. And so it's exciting to sort of have this direct to fan base um, uh, venue that is that is a, that is writing focused instead of video or personality um, focused. And so that's been a huge goal of mine recently is to really grow to grow that community. Oh, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I eventually, I started the comics comic back in 2007, but a couple of years ago, I fully made the pivot to Substack because that's just where you had to go to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there, were, there was no longer any any advertising money uh, to have a website. So right. you had to fi- figure out, well, what to do. And Substack has a platform and makes it easy to use. Um, so when you initially got hired by BuzzFeed then, did that feel like, oh, I'm this is what success means is I'm getting hired at BuzzFeed because at the time BuzzFeed was huge. Absolutely. I remember like like I have a terrible memory, but I remember vividly <laughs> like being in in the the main space and thinking, oh I wish I could work here forever. Like already having this sense of like, oh it's gonna be a bummer that this won't be my life always. But then what was so wild about that job was Within eight months, I only worked at BuzzFeed Video for eight months. And within that time, I went from this is the best job of all time to, oh, my God, get me out of here. <laughs> had, you met, had you met Gabe before BuzzFeed or was that only after you got there? No, I met Gabe before and we had our channel just between us before we started working at BuzzFeed. And then we we kept going that whole time we were working there. We kept posting weekly. And by the time... By the time we left BuzzFeed, I think we had around 100,000 subscribers on our own channel. Was was JBU, was that, was your channel, was that the reason you got hired for BuzzFeed or was it your other portfolio of, of work? I think it was that Gabe had gotten a residency through a connection that, that he had with um, someone he'd met like years and years earlier, like truly kind of out of nowhere got this residency. Okay. And then they came up with a video idea about like best friends. And so they brought me in to film it. And I think BuzzFeed liked my performance. Then I kind of had to like interview for a residency job. Um, mm-hmm. But they, they took a chance on me and, and from the residency, which was only supposed to be six weeks, they were starting a, like a writer's division that was meant to make longer form content. And so you could be hired there without knowing how to edit or shoot or produce. Um, it was just a, it was a writing job. And so it was kind of perfect timing. So I went from that six weeks residency to being hired in the writer's um, division. Okay. So what was the moment that made you say, I've got to get out of here? There became a point where I was sitting in the attic because that's where we were sitting with no windows and I was no longer allowed to like be in short form videos because I had to only be in the writing divisions videos, but the writing division wasn't making any videos. 
So I was just sort of sitting there being like, what am I doing? There was just like days on end where I like wasn't really doing anything. And I was, you know, I was like in my mid twenties, I was rare to go. I wanted to do stuff. Um, and so that was like a really frustrating kind of corporate bizarre moment where it was like, but then why am I here if I can't be in anything or do anything? Uh, I hope you don't mind, but it, as you described it, it immediately made me think of the movie Office Space. You know, I have never watched all of Office Space, which I know is sacrilege. But yes, it is that very same feeling of like where the employee get. But that in that in in the movie, this isn't a spoiler, but one employee gets moved into like the basement, into like a dungeon, and then into a closet in the basement, and the employee's (laughs) like, "What? Like looking around, like why am I here?" Um, But you didn't burn the place down. You just left, and you and Gabe started to like find more success with just between us back on your own. Yeah. We started releasing twice a week and once Mm -hmm. a week was an original sketch. And then we were also in development with MTV to have a half hour show based kind of based on the channel with like an additional hook. Um, But then through a very unfortunate situation um, that show didn't end up going. Right. I, when, when Gabe was on my podcast in 2019, he was talking about, I think it was a pre-Me Too situation where one of the people involved was caught up in allegations of a sordid nature. Yeah, our, so- our third lead our third lead was accused of, of rape, and um, obviously we did not want to work with him anymore, but the, the, the network just killed the show instead of just recasting him. That um, was James Dean, right? Yeah. Okay. I promise not all of my questions are about just between us. But... Oh, that's okay. <laughs> but I do want to ask, when Gabe was on the podcast, Gabe described it to me as a little bit like married at first sight because Gabe said you two didn't really know each other that well before starting the channel. And now you've been doing it for the better part of a decade. And mm-hmm. it's gone through all of these iterations, including the the development of, of several shows. But then you started like a separate audio podcast in 2019. There's now a separate TikTok with a different couch. And then <laughs> and then in 2023, you came back, you, you brought the weekly YouTube videos back. So <laughs> tell me how, how has it kept going in all of these different forms? tenacity um i think there's been plenty of times where gabe and i or one of us has wanted to quit uh we've mm-hmm. had a lot of interpersonal conflict um and i think a lot of that was due to us being young not having a great handle on our mental health um pettiness jealousy all all those fun things that like you have to actively work through or else they'll destroy your life and i also think um you know, it's it's also been us figuring out what what are we able to do without burning out? Um, what do we still have uh, capacity for? What still interests us? How can this? How can our platform grow in a way that is true to how we've grown? And so, you know, a lot of it is also like throwing spaghetti at the wall. Like we don't have the same, I'd say, currency or power that we had at our heyday, you know, like there was a time when like we were kind of a big deal. Like our channel was like growing rapidly. We were getting meetings wherever we wanted. We, we sold a book off of like a four page document. Like we, we were living high. I think they made Uh, the New York times bestseller list. It did. Yes. (laughs) Um, 
And, and I think that at the time, because we were so young, we didn't understand that this was not normal, <laughs> that like sort of the level of success we reached and how quickly we reached it was this wonderful blessing instead of something that we were like entitled to have forever. And, you know, I think that the industry has changed in a lot. I think the industry has changed a lot in the last few years and, you know, our, our reach is maybe not the same that it was. And so for us, it's figuring out, okay, like, how do we still make a career off of this? How do we hold on to the fan base that has stayed with us while also trying to expand our fan base to people that maybe don't even know that we were ever on BuzzFeed because they're just finding our podcast on Spotify and they're like, oh, this is interesting. Um, and so it's, it's an ongoing challenge and it's also, um, you know, us having separate, separate projects. Um, at this point, we really only do JBU together. We don't develop books or movies or TV together anymore because that just didn't work well for us. Um, but it, it's, it's kind of piecing together a career with what we think will work. And then, you know, sort of from feedback and, and from, you know, reactions being like okay so you guys do want the couch video which is us sitting on a couch talking about something for 10 minutes but you don't like when we just put the video of the podcast on the youtube channel right <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense but okay <laughs> you know it's sort of just like listening and, and adapting to the feedback instead of just being like but you should like this <laughs> especially since i just read things in the industry media that just in the last month talking about how podcasting pivoting to video was where it's supposed to be in 2023 that people actually want to watch the pod the video of the podcast rather than listen to it so and we were told that right it's interesting that that. your your actual fans are not like no no they were like we're no thank you like you know (laughs) it would get a couple a couple thousand views but it it doesn't do it wouldn't do as well as our videos that we do that are just like the traditional couch show right now what we do is we do the podcast for the podcast people and the couch show for the youtube people and then you know i have i have my Substack, i have my emotional support lady instagram account for people who are following me for for more mental health focused stuff and um, if that sounds like a, a lot of content, it's because it is. And, and I'm afraid every single day I'm going to run out of things to say. <laughs> that's, that's where I wanted to go with this. I mean, because, you know, your book, Overthinking About You, is about navigating romantic relationships. But I also can't help but wonder, as a content creator myself, even, because that's what journalism is <laughs> in in the 21st century, but having all of these friends, you know, you among them now, I often, it boggles my mind and I have to wonder, like, how how do you not develop a mental illness once you decide you're going to be a content creator? Because you're just feeding this this beast, this machine of the internet that demands more and more and more and more. And even if you're doing one a week, you feel like you're never doing enough. I think that the issue for me is more like, does anyone even want this anymore? You know, I think that my mental health struggles with with my career have been 
having so much things be on the decline, like to see my Instagram following go down, to Mm. see my engagement go down, to like no longer get the views that we had, to not have the cachet that we used to have. And and so my brain likes to go, oh, well, that means you failed and it's over. (laughs) We're like, uh, and like to see it at extremes and to see, okay, well, this is a decline. So you're garbage and it's just going to keep going down until zero and nobody cares about you at all anymore. And uh, (laughs) I'm having to actively work on the fact that it's okay that these things change, that my engagement does not reflect my self-worth, that there is still so much value in being meaningful to a smaller audience. And that if I am impacting in a positive way, any amount of people with my work, then that's, that's enough. Um, And I think with our mental health aspect of it all, the fact that there are such metrics tied to the work that I do has been really challenging because it's like, oh, I can distinctly look and see that here I had this many followers and now I have this many or this used to get this and now it gets that. And um, it's a lot of work. And I'd say that that's my main final hurdle in my acceptance of self and self-compassion is my relationship with my career and finding a way to feel both satisfied and fulfilled by it, but not also so deeply tied to it that a career disappointment can rock my world in a way that is pretty dangerous. Yeah. I mean, uh, even if you, you're not diagnosed with OCD, it's, it's so, so easy to get wrapped up in checking the numbers every hour to see, Mm -hmm. Oh, how many, how many likes is this getting? How many shares is this getting? How many views, how many listens? Um, at least for me, I find it's been helping at least in the past year to blame the engagement numbers on Elon Musk. (laughs) I mean, because Twitter is useless for me as a journalist, Twitter has become useless and not just because it no longer works with Substack. There's just no, there's just no, like nobody leaves Twitter to go to my podcast or to go to anything I write. So in a certain way, being able to blame that on an individual billionaire from South Africa allows me to just go, well, the whole thing is messed up. <laughs> and I also think that's why having community is important because then mm-hmm. when I could talk to somebody who's like, oh yeah, my numbers are down too. It's like an algorithm thing or like we're all dealing with this. And obviously not everyone because you go on TikTok and you see these people who have millions of followers and you're yeah. like, who are you? Um, <laughs> but, you know, just like, really taking a step back and and trying not to play the compare game because that's where I really beat myself up. I mean, I worked at BuzzFeed at a time where people who have got on to be household names and hugely successful. And so it's really difficult to not be like, oh, but, you know, why am I not so-and-so? Or why didn't I turn this into this huge company in the way like the Try Guys did? And so um, it's like it is every day a struggle to like remain motivated to not beat myself up. And then also to like see the, to actually see and receive the positive, uh, Mm -hmm. the positive feedback, because like as humans, we have a negativity bias. And so there's a tendency to sort of like need like five nice things said for every one mean thing said. But (laughs) I think that like really trying to be like, Oh, like, this person says that like I'm the reason they went to therapy or I've like helped their relationship in a significant way and reminding myself like, that's why I do this. 
this is why I'm showing up every day. And we don't need to hit the upper echelons of success to have a successful life. And do you really want to be a try guy? <laughs> I mean, you might be the wrong try guy. There was a short lived like try girl thing we tried to do at BuzzFeed, but it never really took off. <laughs> I mean, I would, if I were to pick anyone out of BuzzFeed, I mean, Quinta Brunson, wasn't she? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, it's so amazing to see what Quinta has done. And I'm so unbelievably proud of her and in awe of her. And I mean, within one second of meeting her at BuzzFeed, it was like, oh, this person's got it. But like, you also then can't say to yourself, oh, well, like you just never had the opportunity. Cause it's like, I worked at the same place at the same time, you know? And so it's, um, it's interesting, but it's also like the, the industry is, is, is confusing. It's not fair. She had so many projects that didn't go before Abbott, you know, um, and and there's an element of of catching the wave. Um, and I I think for me, it felt like we ca- caught the wave and then fell off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been really difficult for me. But then people that take a step back and look at my, you know, canon of work are like, what are you talking about? You're, you're doing so many things. So right. <laughs> it's a You've lot of about- New York Times bestseller list. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been on the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> but then I, but then the reality is like, I'm, I'm my, I have a novel out for a submission mm-hmm. right now and I'm, and it's getting rejected and I'm getting these passes that are like, I love Allison. I've been following Allison for years. I really wanted to like this book, but I didn't, you know, <laughs> and so. It's like it's like maintaining that tough skin while also appreciating right. what you have and what you've done. Yeah, I'm, that's not to try to give you a pep talk, but as someone who's like working <laughs> on a book proposal myself, I I also have to like rationalize that these people aren't actually thinking of me as a qualified, legitimate journalist or or a prolific writer or even a someone who writes well they're just looking at me as dollar signs and yeah. and does my can they sell my idea and not like whether it's any good or not they're they're not evaluating it based on quality so and i also just think quality is very subjective right and so mm-hmm. like i mean if you go and you look at the reviews of my book There'll be a comment that's like, I love the conversational style that this book was written in, followed by, I hated how conversational this book was. I wanted it to be more formal. You know, like you can't, you can't please everyone. And while it feels like, oh, Penguin Random House as a, as a entire organization is rejecting my book. In reality, it's probably one or two people that read it that it just didn't vibe with them. Um, And and they might have read it on a bad day. Totally. <laughs> or something had just happened where another book that was somewhat similar had had disappointing numbers. And so yeah. they're worried about their job and that, you know, and like remembering that there's always so much context that is happening that you will never be, you know, pervy to has been really helpful. Like when I leave a pitch, when I used to audition, when I would leave an audition, when I'd leave a pitch, you know, now like, it would be like, well, how did it go? It's like, I have no idea. I have no idea what they thought. I have no idea what other information they're getting. I have no idea what, like, what 
what other projects are happening, who is similar to me, who's not. Like, I, all I can do is show up and give my best. And then the rest is literally like, who knows? It's It's been helpful to like walk out and be like, well, I'm not going to try to think about that again. <laughs> Did the, I know the pandemic made a lot of people think about what they were doing with their lives. Was that the reason you went back to school or were you already, had you already decided to go for graduate school before the pandemic? I actually had already started. I started in, in okay. January, 2020 and I will be done um, this August. So it is, it is, my graduation is quickly approaching. Um, I took the program very slowly cause I was working the whole time. I switched mm -hmm. degrees. It was a whole thing. Um, but I, I will be done very soon and I'm, I'm very excited. <laughs> and you'll have a master's. Yeah. Master's in, in psychology. Okay. So when the pandemic started, did you go, Oh, I'm so glad that I decided to do this now like i'm i'm <laughs> this was the right decision for me not really because i actually kind <laughs> of ended up realizing that i didn't want to become a traditional therapist so okay. in a way it answered a question i'd always had mm -hmm. um and the answer ended up kind of being no <laughs> but um you know i i think for me my challenge has never been, I don't know what I want to do with my life. It's, I know exactly what I want to do, but people won't let me do it. <laughs> and so there's a different, you know, there's a different agony in that, in that, like, mm -hmm. I would love to run a TV show, but I'm not allowed to. <laughs> um, and so it's been a journey of, okay, if I can't do my number one passion, if I can't achieve my, my main goals, what can I do and what can I pivot to that will still bring me joy and still make me money and still feel like I'm, I'm living the life I want to be living. So is that in a sense, what success means to you now? Or yeah, how, I think or what it looks like. I think success for me now is, is feeling content with what I'm doing. Um, and that's a struggle. Um, and, and it's something I'm working towards, but I think to feel to get to a place where I feel like this is good enough is is what success would feel like to me. Well, I mean, and you're still, you know, there's so many podcasts that have fallen by the wayside. You still are doing uh, just between us with Gabe and, you know, you've put out a scripted podcast and you're about to get your master's and you started a Substack emotional support lady. It's like, you have been on the best, like you have all these things that nobody can take from you. Yeah. I tell myself that as I go to sleep at night, <laughs> that one week on the bestseller list, they'll never take it from me. <laughs> no, because you can put that on, you can put that on everything from the New York Times bestselling author. Believe me, I put it on everything. <laughs> well, Allison, thank you so much for, for, for joining me. I, I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. This was so fun. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean L. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.